Hey everyone, you made it. Whether you're watching this online or in person, you've decided to be here at Christ Community Church and connect with us. We couldn't be more excited about that. Regardless of what season you're in, we want you to know that you have a place right here at CCC. And we're so glad that you could join us today. You can find hope through the good news of Jesus Christ. He came to bring hope to a lost world and uses us to spread the good news of that hope. Engaging in community is a great place to start. We can help in that process if you would simply fill out a connection card and stop by the welcome desk in the lobby or click connect on your screen. We'd love to serve you and serve with you. We all have the opportunity to join in worship through giving. If you're watching online, you can do this by texting CCC Rochester to 77977 or by simply clicking the give link on your screen. If you're here with us in person, you can place your offering in the boxes at the back of the auditorium as you leave. CCC wants to be a church of generous people who honor Jesus by loving each other and serving our neighbors. Thank you for your continued support and for helping us share the gospel message with the world around us. It's such a blessing to be able to come before the Lord in prayer. If you have any prayer requests, please write them down on the back of a connection card and leave it at the welcome desk. And if you're watching online, click request prayer and one of our hosts will be available to pray with you right then and there. For those of you who may not know, we have a series of monthly informational Zoom meetings called Local Leaders on Mission that happen on the third Thursday of the month. These meetings highlight our local outreach partners and we discuss opportunities, progress, and issues. Our next meeting is this Thursday, February 18th at 7 p.m. We'll be hearing from Tom Trzinski with Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge this week. He'll be talking about local outreach in general, as well as assisting those in recovery. If you're interested, go ahead and email our missions director, David Allen at dallen at cccrochester.org for the Zoom link. We hope to see you there. Hey, Andy, do you know what's happening this week? What is it that's happening this week? It's National Random Acts of Kindness Week, and we have some great ways for you to spread kindness to those around you. That's right. First, we're launching an opportunity for you to help a family or individual in need through what we're calling the 507 Neighbor Grant Project. Maybe a section of your neighbor's fence fell down in a storm, but they don't have the means to fix it. Or maybe you want to put together some baskets for a family that's quarantined. The 507 Neighbor Grant Project would be a great option for you to lend a hand in these situations. The purpose of this is to live out our vision of being a church of generous people who honor Jesus by loving each other and serving our neighbors. If you want to fill out a form or need more information on this, go to the missions page on our website. Another opportunity to spread kindness this week is by participating in our 16 Hours of Prayer event this Tuesday, February 16th. We'll thank God for his kindness towards us and pray for opportunities to share that kindness with others. And if you want to sign up for a time slot to pray, go to the prayer page on our website. Winter camp is our most highly anticipated weekend of the year for students. And this weekend has finally arrived and we've brought winter camp right here to Rochester. Right now, in homes around Rochester, students are gathered for a very different version of winter camp. But even with all the changes, the God that we get to worship and experience remains the same. 
And now, as we prepare for worship, know that you are loved by God and welcomed here. God has brought you here today for a purpose. Open your heart and mind to hear what God wants to teach you today. It's not just another weekend. It's another chance, another opportunity to join with us in worshiping our creator. And that starts right now. So we're going to start out the service a little bit differently today. And um, a year ago this weekend, Jason and I were up at Big Sandy Camp with our 6th through 12th graders at Winter Camp, which we've been doing for years and years. It's one of our favorite weekend getaways. Um, But this week, it's different, obviously. So when we were up there a year ago, we had no idea what the year was going to bring. We had no idea that we wouldn't be freezing up north in a year and having a blast. But our youth staff has done an incredible job of figuring out what what winter camp looks like, reimagined, but it's here in town. Not only here in town, but we've got, uh, let's get those stats up. We have 121 students who are attending even now. We've got nine host homes, which are within about a mile or two miles of church, and we also have the seniors who are in the warehouse right now. We've got 32 adult volunteers, and we have four youth staff that are running this whole thing. We've got from 8 a.m. to 10 or 11 p.m. tonight and tomorrow, where we are trying to create an environment for students to meet with God. And 24 hours from now, they're gonna be in this room, all of them spread out and masked, but meeting God. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray over that as what's happening right now, what'll happen tonight, and then as all the kids gather from their host homes, into this place tomorrow. So what I want you to do is pray for the safety and the health of everyone involved. God's a strong God. I know he can keep everybody safe and healthy. Pray for the speaker and the worship team who are leading these kids. And pray that the Lord would be present and that those kids' hearts would be open. So in these next few moments, you are gonna pray for our youth. You can either grab the hand of the person next to you and pray out loud together or you can pray silently and individually, but we're gonna lift those kids to our God. So let's just take a few moments to do that. Father, it's been a long year. And some of these kids are bringing things to this weekend that we don't even know they're dealing with and that they're fighting with. But we know that you are a capable and strong God and that the battle is not ours, but it's yours. And that you will reign victorious over health, over fear, over doubt and anxiety. God, give this time to these students to have it be a place and a time where they can meet with you and see you for who you are and worship you for who you are. We thank you that they can gather together even though it looks different, God, they're gathering together and honor these prayers that have been set before you tonight. 
We love you, Father. In your precious name, amen. And the battle truly does belong to God, and we lift our voices in worship tonight as we do that. Why don't you stand and join us?
I couldn't earn it. I know. 
Good evening, good afternoon. I'm not sure what it is. It's so good to see you. I almost came out wearing a sleeping bag. I, that's how I felt. I don't know about you guys. You guys ever heard of pigs in a blanket? You ever had pigs in a blanket? Well, that'd have been a dork in a bag. And because um, I was trying to figure out why anybody would come today. And I came up with several reasons. Number one, you're here because you don't have a life. You're lonely. There's people here. Maybe somebody will talk to you. That has to be it. You, you, you just had nowhere else to go. Um, I thought maybe, <laughs> maybe it's because you're a glutton for punishment because you knew I was preaching and you figured the weather's bad. What the heck? But I think uh, the reason you're here is because uh, you want to hear uh, maybe the Lord speak to you. And that's what I'm hoping to. I'm going to start off right away by jumping into our text. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10. Uh, the verses are going to be on the, on the screen for you, starting with the 38th verse. While Jesus and his followers were traveling, Jesus went into a town. And a woman named Martha let Jesus stay at her house. Martha had a sister named Mary, and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him teach. The first word I want you to see is that word in yellow. It's the word listening. We know what that means, but most of us know that it's possible to be listening, but not really be listening at all. My sophomore year, I was in high school there in a little town in Nebraska, and at that time, at that time, it was against the school code to chew gum in school. How many are old enough to remember that? I'm glad both of you are here with me. Um, but we remember that. Kids today have it so easy. We didn't have pop machines. We couldn't drip, bring food into the classroom. We didn't chew gum. And if you did, depending upon the teacher, you're probably going to be staying after in the thing that we used to call detention. Kids are so lucky today. We were lucky if we got silverware for hot lunch. Anyway, but if you're going to chew gum, you had to do so under the radar so you wouldn't get caught and get into trouble. And so I'm kind of listening, but not listening. I'm in English class. Mrs. Cordes is the teacher, and she's a rule follower, but on occasion she would extend grace. And she's up front, and she's talking, and again, I am a little bit distracted. And she's speaking, and in mid-sentence, she adds this thing in the middle of the sentence, and she goes, okay, hey, you know the rules. Get up to the garbage can, spit out your gum. And without thinking, five of us guys stuffed up at the same time. And the funny thing, it was none of us five that she caught. It was a girl in the front row. This, so you know what that means. It means we were all had because we weren't really listening. I want to take this and make this a little bit more personal. If God wanted to speak to you today, would you be listening but not really listening? And that's... That's what Mary's doing. She, she's not doing what I did my sophomore year. She, she is actually listening. She's dialed in. She's leaning into. She's taking in every word of Jesus. She's intently engaged. She wants to hear what Jesus has to say. A couple of other versions say that she was absorbing every revelation. Another translation says that she was hanging on every word. And then we come to Martha. It says, Martha became angry because she had so much work to do. The key word is angry. 
Other versions give us a wide range of words that tell us some of the emotions that Martha was feeling. She was anxious, busy, distracted, encumbered, exasperated, frantic, overwhelmed, preoccupied, and worried. I was looking for a word that I thought would have been spot on, but apparently there's no Greek word for it, maybe. Uh, but make no mistake about it. In one word, Martha was intense. In two words, you'd say she's wound up, wound up tight. One version says Martha was the jittery type. Well, Martha reaches a breaking point, and I want you to listen to what, or watch what she does and listen to what she says. It says that Martha went in and said, one translation said this way, Martha was so frustrated with her situation, she actually interrupts Jesus, okay? And she says this, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me all alone to do all the work? Tell her to help me. I'm the oldest of seven. It would have sounded like, Dad, that's what, Dad, Greg's not helping. That's what's happening here. But these are adults, okay? But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you, you are getting worried and upset about too many things. Only one thing is important. And Mary has chosen the right thing. And it will never be taken away from her. Let's pray for a minute. Father, I'm asking you to come and speak to us today in this moment that we might grasp what is being said. And the Father, that we wouldn't be listening, but not really listening, but that we would actually really listen to you. So, Father, I know people have come here today and some of them have brought stuff with them, stuff that's heavy on their backs. And I don't know what that is. I know some of these folks have had to face things um, this past week that were hard. And some of these folks have things to face in the coming week that are heavy. So I don't know what they're carrying, but I do know that we all need to hear from you here and now and today. And so we ask you to come to be our guest. And I pray that we would listen intently and learn something about ourselves, learn something about each other, and learn something uh, from you that we can apply to our lives. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. I, I want to give you a larger view, a 360 degree look at that phrase, the right thing. Other translations say it this way. They frame it up a little differently. They say that Mary has chosen the best part. Another translation says the better thing. Another one says the one thing, that one thing. Another one says the right choice. The Passion Translation says the verse this way, verse 42. And I love it. It says, Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at the feet of Jesus. She is undistracted, and I won't take this privilege from her. The ESV translation says she chose the good portion. Now, as we start this morning, for a little bit of backdrop, I want you to know that a lot of what I'm sharing with you today is not mine. So if something you hear something that's really good, you, you know it's not mine, but now I'm at least fessing up. And I heard a message about a dozen years ago from a guy named Mark Driscoll who spoke on this. And sometimes I'm going to quote him directly. Sometimes I may use his words, other times indirectly. And then out of that, there's just a lot of thoughts that I've had over the years concerning these five verses. And I want to start also with three initial observations. Sometimes you go into a text, and you know what? We, 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 we jump in the text, and we're not thinking about maybe what's behind it and things that are going on. 
And there are times that we don't think about these things, even though they are critical and they are a part of the story. And sometimes we assume them and we skip over them and miss them altogether. So just three things quickly here. First of all, Jesus had fans, foes, and friends. If, if you're a person and you are in, in any type of leadership position, maybe you are a CEO of a company, maybe you are the head of a department where you work, <clears throat> because of that, you are, have people who are under you and they answer to you because you are over them. And if that be true of you, you have fans and you have foes. There will be people who really like you and people who really don't. And that's the reality of being in charge, of leading, of being a position of authority, all right? Fans and foes have one thing in common, that's this. They choose how they feel about you. You have no real, real, real uh, role in that. But you also will have friends too. And the cool thing about friends is you get to choose. Now, when it comes to friends, I think we'd all agree that there are levels of friendships, levels of friendships. You have friends who live next door. You see them, you wave, you exchange pleasantries, you, you have a conversation once in a while, and maybe even then you just stop and you catch up, but kind of ends there. It's as far as it goes. Some of you have friends at work. Your cubicles are next to each other. You do work projects together. You enjoy their company. You have good conversations. Sometimes you might go to the cafeteria there where you work and, and share lunch together. But that, that's where it starts and ends. And then you have those friends you meet after work. Maybe you do supper with your spouses. Maybe you golf with them once or twice a month. Maybe you're in a life group with them and you, you see each other often. And you like them and they like you and it's always good to see them. And when you see them, it always brings a smile to your face. Jesus had many fans, and some of them were friends too, and they really, really liked Jesus. Uh, one of the reasons they liked him is because of his messages. They, 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 they thought that his messages were fresh and, and energizing, and not like those grumpy old Pharisees, you know. They, they'd put him to sleep, okay, but not Jesus. And after, every time you heard him speak, they'd be excited because it would give them something to think about. And there would be conversations maybe on the way back home or at the table at home. They liked Jesus. They liked it and they were actually blown away when he would do miracles and they would go, dude, that was totally awesome, do it again. And they were just intrigued how that would happen and they knew there was something special about Jesus. They liked it when Jesus confronted the Pharisees. Because as I already said, they thought they were boring, but they also didn't like them because the Pharisees kind of made them feel less than, unwanted, expendable. And they liked Jesus because who doesn't like a free lunch? On one occasion in John 6, Jesus pulls off this miracle with the loaves and fishes, and he ends up just this, not even a basket full of food. He feeds 5,000, and the best fish fry ever and the seasoning was out of this world. Man, if he could do that with chicken, he could maybe be a colonel or something, you know? And they were fans, and they liked Jesus. Some not only were fans, they became friends, and some of them not only became friends, they became followers. Yet it's odd, because in that same chapter of John 6, just a handful of verses later, Jesus gives a hard word, and we see just how fickle fans can be. Because it says from time 
this time on, many of the fans turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus had fans and he had foes. He had foes. We don't need to spend too much time on this, but we know who they are. You know who they are. The chief priests, the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the religious guys. And they were always messing and poking at Jesus. They'd jump into the ring and try to knock Jesus out. They tried to get Jesus to fall into kind of a trick or trap to take Jesus down. Uh, they never made it out of the first round. They always found themselves on the campus. The canvas, I mean, and trying to get their memory back. They couldn't beat Jesus. And they hated him. How much did they hate, hate him? It says in Matthew 26 and many other places in the four Gospels. It says in 26.4 Matthew, they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Jesus had fans, he had foes, and he had friends, and he had close friends. And three of those close friends, we're going to look at two primarily tonight, is Mary, Martha, and then her brother, Lazarus. They were close friends. They were siblings, two sisters and a brother. Apparently, the thinking is that they lived together. We read of these three and their unique friendship with Jesus throughout the Gospels. And Jesus cares deeply for them. He loves them, and he stays at their house. They are close friends. I officiate a lot of weddings, and there's usually a wedding party, and in the wedding ceremony, almost without exception, I will refer to them, I have vows for the wedding party, and I will refer to them as special friends, honored guests who hold a special place in the hearts of the bride and groom. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are, are those kind of special friends and guests who are close to the heart and life of Jesus. We all need friends, don't we? Let me ask you a question. Who are your close friends? It's been said that everyone needs at least six good friends, one for each handle of the casket. <laughs> I have, over the last almost 40 years, always had a list of six, and sometimes it changes because I move and we don't get to see that friend anymore. One of my six is now in his 70s, and recently he pulled me aside just a few weeks back and says, Greg, I'm getting older, and you're getting fatter. If you don't lose weight or get cremated, I'm out. And I um, might have to recheck that guy on my list. But these kind of friends I'm talking about are the friends that you can count on through thick and thin. They're the, they're the friends that show up at the door when you're in crisis and in need. And I want to take this friends thing another step in the second observation. This is critical, and we don't think of this very often. It's this. There were friends that ministered to Jesus. Jesus ministered to so many people, to the crowds, but not just to the crowds, to those who were lonely, destitute, forgotten, sick, without hope, that were on the periphery of society. And Jesus was always giving of himself and pouring out for others. And the question has to be asked, who ministered to Jesus? Apparently, Martha and Mary and Lazarus were those kind of friends. They fed him. They housed him. They provided Jesus a haven of rest. And folks, we all need those kinds of friends who refresh us, who refuel our batteries, who breathe fresh air into our lives and into our lungs. Jesus traveled extensively once he began his ministry. He was essentially homeless. Jesus never knew where he was going to sleep. He never knew where his next meal was going to come from. 
But when he was in the neighborhood, Jesus could always count on Mary and Martha opening up their home and refreshing him. Yvonne and I this year, we've been in since 1981, 40 years of full-time ministry. And, and I tell you, some of those times were really hard. We would have never made it another year if it wouldn't have been for people who stepped into our lives and ministered to us at critical junctions. Jesus has been traveling on foot for several months now, and he's, he's making his way from the region of Galilee. Ultimately, he's going to find himself in Jerusalem. And I don't know if you realize this, but he's walking, but he's walking to his own death. Because what's waiting for him in Jerusalem when he gets there is the cross. He is literally dead man walking. And traveling can be, so Jesus knows where that's going to take him. He, he's aware of that. That's another kind of an, a weight that he's carrying that, that makes him tired. Traveling can be exhausting. Can you imagine traveling by foot day after day, week after week? And Jesus would literally lead one, leave one town and then come into the next. And, and when he would get there, he'd be mobbed by the crowds. People were everywhere. On one occasion in Luke chapter 8, it says that the crowds are pressing so hard to get close to Jesus that they almost crushed him. By the end of a typical day, Jesus was spent. He's hungry. He's tired. He needs some downtime. He needs a safe place to crash. And Mary and Martha had just the place. And then here's the, th the third piece I want you to get. Sometimes siblings are just different. I've seen it more times than I can count. Two brothers who would be raised in the same house with the same mom and dad. They grew up side by side with the same expectations and same rules. They may even be close in the same age. Yet the two can grow up and be as different as black and white, night and day, right and wrong. Ever known a family situation like that? You have any of that in your family? Don't raise your hand. But how many of you have a sibling, brother or sister who's very, very different from you? Martha and Mary are very different from each other. Martha is the firstborn. She's the driver. She, she loves to-do to do lists. When, when she comes home from school, she goes straight home. She empties her backpack. She hangs up, and she starts working on her homework. Mary, not so much. Martha, she's home. She's already done with her homework. She's finished her chores, and she's starting to make a list of what she needs to get tomorrow. Mary, she's not home yet. Mary lives in the moment. She smells the flowers along the way. She stops to talks to the three-year-old kid who's riding his trike and the lady who's 70 alone and sitting on her front step. It's so funny. She's, she walks into the house and that's where she realizes that she left her backpack on the bus. Now, I'm going to be making some broad strokes on the canvas, mind you, but you're going to get the idea. And that the idea simply is this. They are different, very different from each other, but that doesn't mean they don't love one another. Do you think when they were growing up as kids that there was ever conflict in the house because of their differences? Yeah. Now, why these three initial observations as kind of a lead-in to what I want to say? Because these were daily issues that came into play every day for Jesus. He had a group of people that were sucking the life out of him. He had a group of people who wanted to take his life. 
And then he fortunately had people who breathe life into his life. Now, I'm going to be making some broad strokes on the canvas. I've already said that. It's going to be a wide brush. There's going to be exceptions overlapping. Some of you are going to feel labeled or polarized. Some of you are going to feel, man, I'm schizophrenic because I'm half Mary, half Martha. That can happen. Some of you are going to conclude that this doesn't apply to your life at all, but just hang in there for a bit. So let's take a comparative look at these two sisters. First of all, Mary is more contemplative. For those of you who are like Mary, you're going to gravitate toward what we call the contemplative disciplines. Things like Bible reading, fasting, journaling, praying, solitude, worship, whether it be in the context of community or in solitude, in private. If you're a Mary, your mantra might be something like this. Lean into Jesus and get on your knees. Now, Martha is more active-oriented, more administrative. For those of you who are like Martha, you are all about action. You, you do things. You do things. You're a driver and a doer. You're going to gravitate toward those spiritual disciplines that are not contemplative but active. Things like administration, fighting for a cause, especially as it relates to justice, getting things done, healing, helping, preaching and teaching and serving. And if you're a Martha, your mantra might be something like roll up your sleeves and get her done, okay? Mary is word-based. She sits at the feet of Jesus, and what she's thinking is instruct me, grow me, teach me. I want to hear your voice. Her frame of reference would be a verse like this, whom have I in heaven but you and being with you I desire nothing on earth. Martha is more work-based. Mary is at the feet of Jesus. Martha's on her feet for Jesus. And her feeling is, I got to accomplish something. I got to get up. I just got to do it. I got to make it happen. Where can I serve? Her frame of reference is the Bible verse from James 2. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Now, Mary is a BB. What's that mean? She's all about being, okay? She wants to be with Jesus. She wants to be available, be humble, be open, be teachable. It's about her getting time with Jesus, getting connected. It's about being. Martha is all about doing. She's a doobie. Now, I, I know I had to say that. She's a doobie. And some of you are saying, dude, Greg's a doobie. I love this church. And um, <clears throat> even when I write down, that's not what I'm referring to. I know some of you are saying, oh, referring to do. But Martha is a doobie. I digress. She's all about getting things done, okay? Her frame of reference is this. I got to do something. I got to do something. The dishes, the laundry, I can't sit. I got to serve. Mary is a type B personality. Martha probably is a type A personality. Mary is about leaning into Jesus in silence, okay? She's all about hearing the words of Jesus. So where is Mary in this story? She's where Jesus is. She's in the living room. Okay, not Martha. Martha's in the kitchen. Why? Because she's all about loving on the Lord through serving. Mary is worried about the relationship with the Lord. Martha is worried about her responsibilities to the Lord. Now, here's what I want to ask you to do. Which of these two is you? I want you to pick a team. If you were going to lean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands right now. But if you were to pick a way that, a way that you went, are you a, a Mary or a Martha? How many can identify with Mary? Anybody who's a Mary here? I'm about 
Whoa, that's amazing. How many are Marthas? Well, it's a tough crowd. Trust me. And the reason for, I'll tell you that in a minute. How many of you, if you're a Martha and you meet a Mary, they annoy you? Anybody like that? Okay. Or you're a Mary and you meet a Martha and you're annoyed. Yeah. In fact, some of our Marys are not raising their hands. Um, so let me again explain a little bit more of how these uh, people are different the, by what you did to get here. You drove here. So let's, let's see how this would play out for Mary and Martha if they rode in the same vehicle together. And let's say that Mary drove to church and Martha is in the co-pilot seat up front in the passenger side. Okay. So here's Martha and Martha's going to say out loud what she's thinking because most Marthas do. Okay. They're on their way to church and she goes, what are you doing? You know, this is not the shortest route to the church. You could so have caught that yellow light. That light isn't going to get any greener. You do know you can turn right on red. Why are you driving so slow? You're going to make us late. How did, how did you miss that parking spot? Lord Jesus, take me home. Okay. Now, if you're Martha, and Mary indeed drove, you walked into this service absolutely frustrated, okay? You're frustrated. Why? Because it was a miserable ride, all right? And if you're Mary and you did drive today, here's what you want to say, but you only thought about saying, okay? I know we should, I knew we should have prayed or something before pulling out of the garage. Oh, well, we know now who didn't do their devotions this morning. I should have sat in the back seat. I should have had worship music playing on the way here today. I hope who's ever preaching really gets through to them. Lord, take me home, sweet Jesus. Okay, so they're both going home. But uh, how many can relate to that? Has that ever happened? I, I, I'm married to a, a Mary, okay? And, and I, I tend to be a Martha. But I want to take a look for just a few minutes and we're done at Mary, and then next week we're going to look at Martha. But if you're Mary and you saw the votes, um, you're in the minority. I want you to be encouraged here, though, by what Jesus has to say about you. Luke 10, 39, Mary who sat before the master, hanging on every word he said. The Lord knows that your heart's desire is to be in tune with him. Mary's want time to read their Bible alone. Mary's want solitude and silence. Mary's want uh, the, the matter of prayer to be a priority. Mary's want to go to church, not just because they want to be with other believers, but because they feel like God is there in a special way. Mary's need to be in a small group where there's intimate, honest conversations. Mary's want to sit at the feet of Jesus. Mary's have a heart that is full of love for Jesus and at the same time, want a life that's filled with good works for Jesus. That's Mary. But listen to what Jesus says when speaking of Mary to Martha's. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary cho chose the good portion. Now, I believe that Jesus, I really do believe Jesus had a great sense of humor. Uh, I believe he loved to play with words. Um, and I think he's playing with words when he's telling Martha that 
Mary chose the good portion. And I say that because what's Martha been doing since she knew Jesus was coming over? She's been in the kitchen preparing a meal for Jesus and this entourage of people. And chances are when she serves the meal, she's planning on giving Jesus the good portion. But for Mary, Jesus is the good portion. For Martha, serving Jesus is her good portion. You see the difference? It's both simple and profound, both critical and priority. And Mary's the one who understands that sitting at the feet has to happen before being on the feet. That being alone in solitude is important before you go into serving. Jesus says that she chose what is best. I close with this. In 1 Kings 3, David has died. He's gone. And now his son Solomon is going to be king. And it's a big deal because David's led so well for so long. They're just wondering how this is going to work. And Solomon is pretty young to be king. And the nation is on edge. And everyone's wondering what's going to happen. And and Solomon goes to Gibeon to offer sacrifices to God and have time alone with God because he's, he's a little intimidated about trying to fill his dad's sandals. And there, while he's alone with God, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And listen, listen to his words. His response is epic. Here's what I want. Give me a God-listening heart. May that be our prayer. Let's pray. Father, all of us have things that we carry. And we come to times like this and we're distracted. And, and, and it's okay. It's reality that sometimes we carry heavy burdens and sometimes we're looking over the shoulder of the things we're trying to overcome. And sometimes we're looking ahead, overwhelmed by what is ahead. And probably more important than any time in this pandemic is this need for us to, to sit at your feet and to listen. And Father, I pray that we'd be a marked, we'd be marked as a people who listen. Father, for those who have needs and are up against things and weighted down, I pray that they would lean into you and I pray that they would feel your yoke, which is easy and light. I pray that they would feel the peace that comes with knowing that they are in your hands. I pray that they would give their heart and mind to you because you are there with them in that and I pray, too, at the same time, we're all wired differently. And there are Marthas and Marys. Father, help us to love each other. Help us to value what each other brings to the table. And together, help us to do a good work, not only in our church, but in our community, with our neighbors, family, and friends. And I thank you, Father, for being a God who always embraces us, pursues us, holds on to us, even, Father, when we feel like we're slipping away. You never let go, and we're grateful. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I have four questions for you um, on the screen. Um, 
for you to talk over. Who are you more like, Mary or Martha? We're going to talk a lot more about Martha next week. Um, why do you feel that you are more like that person? Which way do you lean? Are you contemplative or active? Or do you have percentages? Secondly, are you a BB or a doobie? I'm going to let that go. Um, number three, what would it look like for you to sit at the feet of Jesus? What does that look like to you? And number four, what step can you take to get more of the good portion? Thanks for coming tonight. It is really encouraging to see you here on very, very one of the coldest nights so far this year. Hopefully God warmed you up and so did the people you got to sit with. Lord bless. Have a good week.